You're listening to Kayama Community Radio. I'm Tanya George, and today I'm talking to Richard Maitland about Boral's proposal to expand their existing sand mining operations. It's not too late to have your say. Stay tuned for details of how at the end of the interview. Also, later in the program, another one of our heritage hotspots. KCR, Kayama Community Radio. Hello, listeners. My name is Tanya George, and I'm here with Richard Maitland. Both Richard and I are members of the Friends of the Minamara River Community Group and are long term residents of Kaima Downs, Minamara. Our group's mission is to protect and defend the ecological integrity of the Minamara River catchment, as well as to educate the community when threats to the river occur. Today we'll be discussing the proposed Boral Sand Mine project, which will have a significant impact not just on the river, but on several threatened ecological communities within the river catchment. Hi Richard, thanks for joining me today. Could you give the listeners a brief background to the Boral Dunmore Lakes project? Yes, uh, Tanya and listeners. Sand mining has been part and parcel of the Rocklow Creek catchment area for the best part of 40-odd years. Previously, there had been opportunities, both legal and illegal, sand mining ventures. And in 1986, uh, an application for a sand mine in the vicinity of uh, Minamara River was uh, declined by Shell Harbour Council. And in 1999, there was a commission of inquiry into sand mining in what we now know as the Dunmore Lakes area. This got the go-ahead with conditions, and those two pits were opened up and the sand was extracted and the two lakes that you see in the Dunmore Lakes estate are the legacy of sand mining. In 2004, Boral acquired Dunmore Soil and Sand. In 2005, Boral applied for a modification to their existing application to open up some sand mining pits along Dunmore Strait in what we now know as the Rocklow Creek area which is on the western side of the former Shell Harbour Station. Boral were given permission to develop those resources and they had 25 years. They have a licence to take out 800,000 tonnes of sand a year, but normally they take out around about 300,000 tonnes. Now, we're currently in a situation where they cannot get access to any further sand in the Rocklow Creek area. So they have come across into the catchment of the Minamara River and sought to have two sand pits known as 5A in front of Dunmore House and 5B on the floodplain to the southeast of Dunmore House. Now, all of their activities are in the Rocklow Creek catchment area. We're of the view that to be granted a modification to come into the catchment of the very pristine and heavily protected Minamara River catchment really requires a complete new application. When this proposal was uh, floated in May last year, the Department of Planning received 146 objections. Kaima Council, Shell Harbour Council, our local member Gareth Ward, the um, member in the Upper House, uh, Justin Field, were all very strongly opposed to the proposal. And uh, as a result of all of those submissions, 
the government realised that it needed to be investigated independently and it was referred to the Independent Planning Commission. Fantastic. Thanks, Richard. So how did you become so invested in this issue? Well, Tanya, sand mining in, in, in the Rocklow Creek and the Minamar River catchment has been an ongoing issue for decades. The sand resource was laid down in the Holocene period about 6,000 years ago. Now, many of your listeners who live in the Minamurra area are basically sitting on that deposited sand. Mm -hmm. The whole of the Minamurra spit plus the Minamurra headland is uh, part of that massive Holocene sand deposit. From Boral's perspective, the quality of the sand there is of a very high grade. Way back in 1976, an application was put before Shell Harbour Council to open up a sand mine very close to Minamurra River. And a very prominent geomorphologist, Dr Young, Robert Young from uh, Wollongong University, handed down a very adverse finding. And as a consequence, Shell Harbour Council denied the application. The applicant appealed and the appeal was dismissed. Now, we currently have one of the pits, which is the 5B pit, more or less in close proximity to where this original application was uh, denied. In 1999, a commission of inquiry into opening up two sand mining pits in what's now known as Dunmore Lakes Estate, handed down a determination to allow those two pits to uh, operate. And later, they asked for an extension into the Rocklow Creek area. And that seemed to be a very sensible area because the Rocklow Creek catchment area has been significantly modified, initially clearing for grazing. The main channel of Rocklow Creek was altered in order to drain it, mainly focusing on dairying. The hinterland of uh, Rocklow Creek is an industrial hard rock quarry. Now, with Boral's lease now almost exhausting their current supplies, that is the reason why they have sought out access to the pristine Minamara River catchment in order to continue their, their mineral extraction uh, facility over at uh, Tabata Road, beside Rocklow Creek. Yeah. So in terms of the longevity, if this modification to went ahead, this only actually constitutes a very short amount of extraction ability in terms of tonnage and lifetime. Do you have figures for those timelines? Yeah, well, Boral's uh, projections are on the 5A site, which has largely been historically cleared and is basically agricultural grazing area. So that resource there has um, about 250,000 tonne of sand that they wish to extract. Mm -hmm. And Boral proposed to fill that with material that is coming out of the major infrastructure projects in Sydney. And now mm -hmm. that amounts to around about 235,000 tonnes. I think it's around about eight to 12 months so that pit has a relatively short lifespan, but it does give Boral an extra quarter of a million tonne. On the 5B pit, it proposes to take out 1,125,000 tonne of sand. Boral have indicated that it will leave a pond eight hectares in area with sections of it up to 27 metres deep. It is a major environmental issue because unlike 5A, the 5B pit contains half of the site, around about four hectares, which has ecologically endangered community of Bangalayan sand trees, which 
provide a very, very important habitat for quite a number of species that are found in that area, mm. which are also subject to federal legislation. And this is an ecologically endangered community. It's very ecologically significant as the trees upon reaching maturity provide nesting hollows for endangered species which are known to live in the habitat. They call me King Mickey Johnson But it's not my name And I'm no king I was taken from my people and made to wear a plate of tin Taken from the north coast to the Illawarra On the farm I was made to work Traded like the horses and the cattle I was traded for a blue serge shirt I worked hard and tried to please white man learned his language and I learned his ways but he would never see me as an equal and the local people said I had no place well they picked me up and they took me to the showground paraded me about and called me king Took my photograph and put me in the papers But the Waddy Waddy songs I could not sing Yeah, I was king, but I had no people I was caught between two lands They let me set up camp down by the ocean Where the Minnemurra River meets the sand Well, my castle was my camp with my wife Rosie I was king but I had no land I lived out my days far from my people Where the Minnemurra River meets the sand They call me King Mickey Johnson But it's not my name And I'm no king I was taken from my people and made to wear a plate of tin. That was King Mickey Johnson by the Water Runners from their album Point of No Return. I'm Tanya George and I'm talking to Richard Maitland from the Friends of the Minamara River. So when you actually walked on the site, when you were able to walk on the site with the independent planning commissioners and rural staff, what was your conclusion on the um, complexity of the environment and the importance of that particular vegetation community? Yes, I'd like to point out to your listeners that this was the one and only opportunity for non-boral employees to visit the site. And the Independent Planning Commission 
the commissioners Leeson and Cochrane invited myself, representing Friends of Minnamurra River, Howard Jones from the Jarrah Environment Protection Society and also Paul Knight, the uh, CEO of the Illawarra Land Council, to attend that particular site visit. Now, it was very significant to be able to actually access the 5B site because it's not easily visible, unlike the 5A site, where you can just simply observe it from the old highway. To actually visit the site and see firsthand the rich diversity of the Bengalay forest and the adjoining coastal littoral rainforest, which it abuts, was very enlightening. It was interesting because both sites have evidence of significant Aboriginal occupation with many artefacts and uh, middens identified in the surveys completed by Boral. Sand mining, by its very nature, effectively destroys these Aboriginal heritage sites. Paul Knight, the CEO of the Illawarra Land Council, gave this illustration to the commissioners when he was asked for his feedback whilst we were standing on the site. He likened it to a situation where an outsider comes to your home and asks you to leave and wait outside whilst they enter your home and they proceed to ransack the contents of the property. And then they come outside, they close the door, the intruder leaves and they hand your property back to you in its degraded state. That graphic illustration that Paul gave certainly had a profound impact upon those who heard his statement in regard to the impact that this proposal will have on uh, traditional Aboriginal culture. Now, the other interesting thing with that particular site, the 5B site, is that in 1818 there was a massacre of Aboriginal people either on that site or very, very close to the site. And that particular massacre has been recorded by a professor from the University of Newcastle, And for Aboriginal people, that particular site is very, very significant. For non-Aboriginal people, whenever there is desecration, particularly of issues such as war memorials and historic sites, there's a great outcry in the community. And really, that same respect should be extended to the Aboriginal folk whose history, culture and way of life is uh, to be impacted with this particular proposal in a very, very negative and permanent way. Richard, I just wanted to get, I guess, your expert opinion on what you believe is the issue with Boral's assertions that the 5B pit, once it becomes a pond or a pool, will be a haven for wildlife. Yes, it's an interesting uh, concept that Boral are putting up. They're basically going to leave a legacy of an 8 hectare open waterway to a depth in parts of 27 metres. Now, there will be absolutely nothing that will be able to live in that particular uh, area of waterway other than around the very margins. So the, the likelihood that it may become a haven for wildlife and a regeneration area is, um, in my opinion, somewhat fanciful. We only need to look at the situation at Dunmore Lakes Estate where the two original sand mining pits were rehabilitated. Now, When you first look at those pits, it appears as though they are a haven for wildlife, but in fact, for a wetland to thrive, it needs to be very, very shallow. It's all right for the the ducks and the drakes that you see wandering around there and a few other uh, native ducks, but as far as other uh, creatures, minimal impact. The other major issue is that immediately abutting the location of this 8-hectare open waterway is coastal littoral rainforest. Now, 
that is an area which is very, very fragile. It is a remnant area which is ecologically isolated and that is going to be under very, very severe pressure if this particular proposal goes ahead because the edging effects of death by a thousand cuts of uh, endangered ecological communities by proposals such as borals basically spells the death knell for those particular areas. As far as perhaps the most significant creature that occupies that area, the sea eagle, which has its nest in the very, very close proximity to this whole location, is going to have its area very, very significantly altered. The removal of mature Bangalay trees, which provide nesting hollows for creatures, for birds, for listed mammals, will be obliterated. Borrell's idea is that that can be replaced with just putting up a few nesting boxes. Mm. Well, that really is uh, really, really inadequate. The pressure upon a remnant littoral rainforest in a mature state, which is in harmony with the ecological community which abuts the Minamara River, is crucial. That whole area is subject to state and federal legislation and it is recognised as critically endangered. This particular proposal ought not to be given the go-ahead. They ought not to be given permission to develop those sand resources in the Minamara River catchment. The cost is too great and the ongoing damage for future generations it will be there for all to see. If you've got concerns about this, and I hope that your listeners uh, may indeed be concerned enough to make it to put submissions in, if you want to make a written submission, you can make a written submission up until 5pm Wednesday, November 4, and you use the online portal www.ipcn.nsw.gov.au have dash your dash say or you can email ipcn at ipcn.newsouthwales.gov.au or you might like to post them a letter independent planning commission level 3 201 elizabeth street sydney new south wales 2000 this really is a crucial issue and we really need to get maximum community input because at this point in time the New South Wales Department of Planning and Industry are recommending the project be supported. The community, Kaima Council, Shalaba Council, Gareth Ward, Justin Field, the Aboriginal community are all saying it should not progress. Thanks so much for your time, Richard. There's not much worth believing in these days. They've taken God off the front page We're all relieved in some small way And what we're left with is talkback show DJs I was listening to one the other day People talking about nuclear war games Primetime paranoia on the airwaves got me thinking and all the damage that's been done before no one stops to scrutinize
anymore Don't you think it's worth fighting for The things you love, the things you hate All the best things gone to waste I'd like to think it's worth fighting for I was listening to one the other day People talking about nuclear war games Primetime paranoia on the airwaves And it's got me That track was Worth Fighting For by Claire Roberts. There was a public meeting with the Independent Planning Commission last Wednesday, the 28th of October. There were 12 speakers opposed to the Boral Sand Mine proposal. I was one of those speakers. Quite a few of my talking points were picked up by the ABC regarding the loss of the Bangalore sand forest, in particular tree hollows. The other speakers opposing the proposal were other community members across the Kaima municipality. This is Mark Whalen for Kiama Community Radio. I am here with a heritage hotspot where I will be telling you a true but little known story from Kiama's rich past. In 1939, on display in the gentleman's bar at the Brighton Hotel in Kiama, was a world record tiger shark caught by the famous author Zane Grey, which was 1,226 pounds, 14 foot 9 inches long, and next to it was a world record tiger shark called Big Ben, caught by his secretary Gus Bagnall, which measured up to 1,382 pounds and 13 feet 9 inches long and 7 foot 9 inches in girth. A visitor to the Kaiman Pilots College Museum remembered his father lowering him into one of the tanks when he was only 8 years old. The owner of the Bryant Hotel at the time was Rupert Bill, and he saw how popular the exhibition was, so he packed the two tanks full of formaldehyde into a trailer that had shark teeth hubcaps and a big fiberglass shark's head on the front, and he went round all the various town shows and even the Royal Easter Show with the popular exhibit as part of his successful run to be elected as the independent member for Kiama in 1941. Sadly, the exhibit was destroyed by fire the same year with a lot of other show exhibits. This story is well covered in the book Fishing Kiama Way by Kiama Councillor Mark Way. Surprisingly, this was the second giant tiger shark known as Big Ben to Kiama locals. It was well reported that horses and cow carcasses were thrown into the sea at Storm Bay near the Kaima blowhole, and this attracted sharks to the divers who were working on the construction of the Kaima harbour. So the practice became common to feed the biggest shark, Big Ben, to keep the rest of them off the divers, and it was recorded in the Kaima Independent at the time that the same shark would follow the steamer Illawong to Sydney and back to Kaima for a feed. Fifty years separate the two Big Bens, so it's unlikely to be the same shark but it's a wonderful but little-known story from our past. This is Mark Whalen for Kaima Community Radio. Hello, I'm Candy Anderson for Kaima Community Radio. 
join me every Friday for What's On in the Kiama LGA for the following week. Our purpose is to keep you updated with events and activities that will get you out and about and connecting with people and places in our fabulous area. If you have an event that you would like to tell the community about, email us on kcradiocontent at gmail.com. I look forward to having you tune in soon and perhaps making our weekly What's On your regular go-to place for keeping in touch with people, places and happenings in the Kiama LGA. Thank you to Richard Maitland for his time and goodbye from me, Tanya George. You've been listening to Kayama Community Radio.